Serpentine while we dismiss our young people for time in the Word. I believe the Farringtons is going to work with them again today. After a busy week, I'm sure that everyone can use a little bit of a little dose of prayer and strength as they work with the young people today. As you try to stay awake to listen to me, all right? Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. A pastor uh, shared a personal story when of his time that he spent actually on the mission field. He, he told it this way. It happened 10 years ago this month. The memory and shame of that moment will accompany the one responsible to the grave. Oh, it was innocent enough. A clear-cut case of, of ignorance, but the damage was done just the same. Probably the hardest and most frustrating time in a missionary's life occurs about three months after arrival. By the time the romance has worn off and reality, the harsh, frustrating reality of living in a strange land with a strange culture and a strange language begins to manifest itself. At precisely such a time in the life of a certain missionary, it happened. Completely frustrated at his own apparent lack of ability to learn a foreign language and discouraged because of the resultant inability to communicate anything to the inhabitants, much less preach the gospel, he had resorted to doing the only thing he felt capable of doing, washing his 10-year-old Jeep. Since that was the only thing that he believed at the moment to be commensurate with his abilities. And he was excelling at it, being completely absorbed by it and oblivious to anything going on around him. Then suddenly, in that kind of fleeting moment that takes volumes to explain and a lifetime to forget, he sensed someone behind him. Startled. He quickly turned around, and inches from his face was a tin cup held out by the outstretched arm of an old man in ragged clothes. The old man said something unintelligible to the missionary, but in a frightening moment, he uh, assumed that the old man, the missionary assumed the old man was begging for money. That great missionary, the great man of God from the United States of America, shouted in English, get out of here and don't ever come back. The old man didn't understand the words, but he understood the tone of voice and left quickly. Unknown to the missionary, his six-year-old son was sitting on some nearby steps watching. The boy innocently asked, Dad, why wouldn't you give him any water? And in that terrible moment, the horrible truth of what he had done dawned upon the now heartbroken missionary. Two hours of frenzied, frenzied searching failed to find the old man. An explanation was never able to be given, nor an apology asked. The old man has most likely passed from this life and doubtless carried a bitter memory of an ugly American to his grave. And more, even more terrible, he probably went to meet his maker without ever having known the truth of the gospel. He came within inches of the one who could have capitalized on the request for a cup of cold water to tell the good news, but who neither understood the request nor recognized the opportunity. That's the trouble with requests for a cup of water. They often come from people all around us, 
But though we would gladly supply the need, we are usually too busy with our own problems, our own lives, what's going on with ourselves, to pay attention to the request. The pastor ended the story by saying, I think you probably know who that missionary was by now, because he had been on the field and he had done that very thing. This morning, I want you to see in Acts chapter 17, a man who could have been absorbed with the problems of life, but he saw the needs of those around him instead. And as a result, an unknown God was made fully known to many people. Let's pray. Father, please, I ask you to open our hearts this morning as we look at this passage in Acts chapter 17. Help us, dear Father, to see the wonderful truth here and to be challenged by the life of Paul and the example he gives to us. I pray, Lord, that there wouldn't be a Christian in this room that isn't touched by your word, by your truth. Help us, Father, to stop thinking about ourselves, boasting at our accomplishments, looking at our own problems and difficulties, and help us, Father, to see there's a harvest field to be reached if we would just hear that people are asking for water. And I pray that you'd stir our hearts this morning by your Holy Spirit. I need strength. Your people need to hear and listen. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible tells us in verse 14 of Acts chapter 17, kind of picking up in the middle of the story, it says, and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. That happens to be, by the way, Berea, if you want to take the time to read the verses before. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I, as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, 
and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord. If happily they might uh, feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own uh, poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed among the which was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This past week in Vacation Bible Time, had the opportunity to preach through a number of different passages, different stories. Sometimes they follow just a theme like the life of David. I think back in 2017, had the life of David, looked at a number of stories in one specific individual. But this year, we were learning about qualities of God, different things that we learn about God, being a great God. Uh, in fact, this passage was dealing with that subject as Paul had opportunity to preach that day. Uh, we had opportunity to look at God being omniscient, om omnipresent, omnipotent. Uh, in, uh, the book, in Psalm 139, but the story of Jonah relays that for us. And so throughout the week, we had different passages uh, that uh, God uh, used not only, I hope, in the lives of the children, but as well in my life as I read through and as I prepared. And as you probably know, and maybe you don't know, when you prepare a lesson, when you prepare a message, a Sunday school teacher or whatever, a lot of times they get far more materials than they can share in, uh, in their lesson time. And a lot of times there are things that they learn that they don't even maybe bring out in, the, in that message. So, um, so I got to preach this on Monday, but I get to preach it again today. And I get to preach it to you, and I get to share with you a number of things that God stirred my heart about in addition to the opportunity I had to bring it to the young people. And so if you think, well, Pastor, I was here on Monday, and I heard this passage, so I, don't need, I can go ahead and leave. No, you can't, because there's more to it than what we shared with the young people in, in, what, 20 minutes or whatever. Pastor always takes more time he's supposed to, but about 20 minutes in the lesson. So this morning... I have like uh, I, uh, probably about 15 things that start with the letter A, but there are um, 10 points in my outline. See if you get the same number in yours by the end. But they all start with the letter A this morning, so the message is brought to you by the letter A. Just wanted you to know that. In Acts chapter 17, and the first thing I would like you to see, in fact, I even wrote some things in this morning in addition, so I have some other A's to add to it as well. So I guess I better get that out so you can, you can hear all the A's. I'm going to impress you with my knowledge of the first letter in the alphabet today. All right. Uh, the first letter is away. The first word is away. Away. Uh, we're coming in Acts chapter 17 to a, a time when Paul is traveling and he's preaching the gospel in various places as he ministers and as he serves God 
uh, in the way that God has called him to serve. He, he's called sometimes a missionary. He's called sometimes an evangelist. He's called sometimes a pastor. And quite honestly, he can be called all of those things because he did all of those works. He did the work of evangelism many times. He did the work of a pastor. He helped ground people in the word of God and helped them grow and stayed in some ministries for quite a while as he had an opportunity to help found them in their faith. And then, no doubt about it, he did the work of a missionary. He traveled around and he started churches all over the known world at that time. And uh, God used him in a wonderful way. And we find him in Acts chapter 17 in the midst of this, this journey, this work that God called him to. He is traveling now with a guy by the name of Silas. Paul and Silas and Timothy, we read actually in our passage, are traveling with him. Quite honestly, he doesn't tell us all the people that are traveling with him all the time. There were a lot of folks. It seems like there was kind of a, uh, an evangelistic team, you know, or missionary team that traveled with Paul. Pretty much folks went with him all the time. The first missionary journey, a guy by the name of? Anyone? Oh, it's just us this morning. A guy by the name of who traveled with Paul? Barnabas, all right? Paul and Barnabas. But they had a division at the end of the, well, when they were getting ready to start the second missionary journey. When Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back to the churches we started and let's see how they're doing and let's see what we can do to be a blessing to them. And they agreed to that, but they had a fight over a guy by the name of Mark. They did. They Paul couldn't stand Mark. And... Uh, We'll just stop right there for a moment. Paul couldn't stand Mark. No, Paul had a problem with Mark. Barnabas uh, didn't. And the reason why Paul had a problem with Mark was because Mark had left them when they were traveling. And some obviously, there was an issue that caused Mark to leave the field. Now, Mark ends up becoming a, a man that God uses in a wonderful way. You say, how do I know that? Well, you have a gospel that's named after him. Hello? You do. So it's wonderful to know that God can take a man who failed and use him, isn't it? Well, this is that second missionary journey. Paul took Silas and they went. Barnabas went and got Mark and took him. And they both were able to go out. Well, we're in the midst of this journey. And you say, well, Pastor, why did you use the word away? Or maybe we could even put, here's another word, appointment. If you want to write that beside Roman number one for in your outline, that's, that's fine. So let me explain. Paul is about to have a ministry in Athens, Greece. Do you know that some claim there are ministries still in Greece today started during this time when Paul was in Athens in Acts chapter 17? Some claim that they can go all the way back to their church starting. I don't know if that's possible. It really doesn't matter. But the fact is... Paul had a ministry among these people. But let me tell you why. It wasn't because Paul planned to go to Athens. It wasn't because Paul, in his journey, said, Hey, Silas, there's a place called Athens that I think we should go to. So let me tell you the reason why Paul was in Athens. You can read about it from the beginning of this chapter. Because at the start of this chapter, Paul was in Macedonia. He was in Thessalonica. You heard about Thessalonica, haven't you? Yes, because you're wondering when I'm ever going to get to 2 Thessalonians. All right, those books were written to the churches in Thessalonica. And Paul was having a ministry there uh, in, in Thessalonica. And God was doing a work and people were getting saved. And obviously God did a work because there's a church that's written, two letters are written to that were founded in the faith, that were growing in the faith, that people were living and serving God. 
But let me tell you something. Problems came when he preached at Thessalonica, and they got kicked out of that place. In fact, the Bible tells us that Paul had to leave, and uh, he had to leave by night in order to make it out of Thessalonica. So let me tell you something, that what happens in Acts 17 was not planned by Paul at all. His plan, I am sure, would have been, hey, we're going to continue in Thessalonica. These people are receptive to the word. We're having decisions and everything else. But God caused Jews to get stirred up, sent Paul away. So Paul is taken to a place called Berea. I told you he was in Berea. Uh, at least Timothy and, and Silas were, and that's because he was kicked out of basically Thessalonica. Paul, Silas, and Timothy come to Berea, and they preach the word of God. And by the way, I always love this, because preachers use this verse, and the Bereans were better, you know, they were better people because what? They searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And the reason I laugh at that is because they encouraged Christians to be Bereans. Bereans were lost people. Do you understand that? The only thing is that they decided they wanted to see for themselves if what Paul was saying was actually the truth that's found in the Bible. So they were lost people. I don't want to be a Berean. I don't. Now, I do want to have the attitude that says, I'll look into the Word of God and find out what it has to say, but I don't want to be a Berean. I do uh, want to be someone who loves the Word of God and makes it important. So he's in Berea. And, and, and so you say, well, wait a second, the people were receptive there. Yes, they were. They were receptive. But do you know what? Jews in Thessalonica, which, by the way, I think is about 45 miles away from Berea, heard that Paul was in Berea, and they traveled 45 miles to stir the people up in Berea, so much so that Paul is sent, uh, is sent away by the believers. And that's what we read in verse 15 when it says, And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. It says in verse 14, Immediately the brethren sent away Paul uh, to go, as it were, to the sea. So let me tell you something. This was not in uh, Paul's itinerary. This was not on Paul's list of churches that I want to visit and people I want to see and ministries I want to have. No, no. Paul was somewhere he didn't want to be, humanly, because he was running. And yet, here he is in a place where he is away from his friends, those who are important to him in the ministry, Silas and Timothy. Because the Bible tells us in verse 14, they stayed there in Berea. In fact... Paul told the people who took him then to Greece, to Athens, he said, hey, go back, tell those men to come. I need them here. I don't know why he said that, except for the fact that he was, he was away from the people he wanted to be. He was away from the circumstances and situations he wanted to be. He was away from the, peop the place he had thought he would be ministering and working. And here's the point. When Paul is at Athens, he isn't where he planned to be, where he wanted to be. He's not only a place he never asked to be, but he was alone because his fellow companions, there's another A, he was alone because his fellow companions were left behind. How do you take changes in your plans? When I read that story that that preacher shared, it's one you usually start with because it sounds discouraging. He learned an important lesson and a lesson that has stayed with him for the rest of his life. But how do you handle changes in life? How do you handle difficulties? i got to be honest, I, I probably have been more like that missionary at times when things aren't going my way or when I'm a little bit frustrated with things that are happening in my life than Paul. Here is a guy who has just had to run for his life 
in two, from two different places because people were stirred up. And what is he focusing on and what is he interested in when he gets to a place he had no intention to minister in? Think about it. Because there's a stirring challenge for all Christians here. Can I tell you that many times I have missed opportunities? Opportunities to share Christ, opportunities to have ministry in the lives of people, because I was bothered by the circumstances God allowed in my life. Maybe a flat tire, you know, all, all bent out of shape. Maybe someone would stop and help. And I have an opportunity to share the gospel, but I don't take it. You know why? Because I was bent out of shape about a flat tire. Have you ever been there? Maybe you um, you forgot to get something at the store, ladies. And so you got to run to the store. And you're thinking, man, I can't believe I forgot that item for, for this recipe. And now i got to go make this trip. And so what are you doing? You're focusing on getting in there, finding the aisle, finding the thing. And the truth is you pass a bunch of people along the way that need Jesus Christ. You're so caught up in the changes that God, is, God has allowed in your life, maybe because those people need the gospel. And you're uh, away from where you want to be, what you want to be doing, what you need to be doing, and you're not focused on the fact that there are lives to be won and people to be reached. Because your life, your ducks have been blown out of the water. Come on, you been there? I like to have my ducks in a row. But the Lord does some, some shooting sometimes. And he, he puts them under. And sometimes, and sometimes, here's the truth. I just, I get bent out of shape about those things. And I see in Acts chapter 17, a guy who in spite of the circumstances had the foresight to see that God might have sent him away. That God had an appointment for him in Athens. And he didn't know it. And he couldn't have seen it. And he would have never planned it that way. And he would have never gone there. But God had people who needed to hear the truth. And rather than get bit out of shape on the fact that God put it, took him away from two fantastic ministries and opportunities... And rather than get bent out of shape that God had taken him away from his friends. And rather than, than be there sulking and saying, God, this just isn't fair. And I was having a great ministry in these places. And why did you do this to me? And, and why did you cause this problem? Paul isn't there sulking and frowning and unhappy. He is just serving God. You see, the truth is you can do one of two things that start with the letter A. When problems come your way and when, you're, when you are, I had actually put this way, sent away because I couldn't get the, the, you know, to fit perfectly. When you're sent away, you can get angry or you can accept it. And in Acts chapter 17, thank God there was a man who accepted the fact that he was sent away to a different place that he never planned to minister, and God used him. Ah, who was it? The motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar. You, you ever remember? You remember that name? You remember, you remember that guy? You know what he used to he used to say all the time? He, it was a quote, I know, but if life hands you lemons, make lemonade. All right. Paul is a living example of lemonade. In Acts chapter 17. 
He saw that there was something to be done. And yeah, the, the Lord sent him away, but the Lord had something new for him to do. Number two, agitation. You love that word, right? Agitation. Or I, I've also put attitude. You can put that. Verse 16 says this. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now, you might wonder why I say agitation after I just said he accepted what God had done and God had sent him away and he had a, a right attitude. So let me explain. Paul is waiting for his command, companions in labor. Again, how would you spend your time in a place you didn't want to be? Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe he's just walking around trying to get his bearing and think about things. And as he's walking around, I, would you be trying to change your circumstances? Would you be dealing with the problems? Uh, as you're waiting, what would you be doing? Licking your wounds, feeling sorry for yourself? You know what? Paul was agitated. He was. If you look at that verse, it says this. His spirit was stirred in him. Now, the agitation, mind you, we got to say, it was not a bad sort. The spirit stirred within him something. One writer explained it as an agitation of mind that led him to positive action. We might use the word, or I, I don't think it's exactly this idea, but he, he got fired up about things. Others might say he was just greatly bothered. The, the point is, he was looking without and not within. And that led him to see people. And as much as I, I, I don't like to admit it, sometimes I don't see people. I don't. I see only needs and problems. Um, Paul, in this difficult time, walks about the city, and his heart is just touched. It's provoked. It's stirred to the point where he says, something's got to be done here. Look at all these people. Lost. They have no idea of Jesus Christ. And who's going to tell them if it's not me? When's the last time you asked yourself that question when, because you forgot an item, you ran to Kroger to get it in order to make a recipe? When's the last time you had to flat or your car broke down and you're at the shop and you're sitting there wondering what you're going to do and how you're going to spend the time and how you're going to get caught up with all the things that you're missing? When's the last time you saw in that room that there were people who had a need and your spirit got stirred? Does anyone get challenged by that? Agitation of mind. I think Jesus Christ is a great example of this. We read in the Bible, uh, in the Gospels, a few different times when he saw the multitudes. Can you say it? I think you know. He was moved with compassion. He saw people. He saw needs, and sometimes that was when he was very busy. A lot was going on. He was having effective ministry, but there was people that had him. What about you? We might excuse ourselves when we look at Christ's example, but Paul is just a, a shining picture for us. So here was a guy who got agitated in the right way. May God help us to get agitated when God sends us away other than we planned. Agitated about the people who need Jesus Christ around us and not about our circumstances.
Number three, alone. Verse 16 again. It's a point I kind of skipped because it's we're told right at the beginning of this, now while Paul waited for them at Athens. The agitation of mind is an important thing, but we need to at least say this. He was all alone. Do you know, I've had people who excuse their reasoning or excuse their, their failure to live for Jesus Christ on the fact that, well, you know, I'm just all alone at work. There's no one else that loves God here. Do you know Paul could have said that? As far as he knew and as far as the scriptural record tells us, there was no one with Paul at this point. He is all alone in a city wholly given to idolatry. He saw idols everywhere. Everywhere. And idols to everything. It's obvious because they had one to the unknown God. You know, we didn't want to miss one. Make sure we put another. Hey, there's another tree. Let's make one to the unknown God. You know, and here is this guy in this land and he's all alone. And yet that doesn't matter. I can stand alone. Paul says I can do a work for God. It doesn't matter whether anyone's with me or not. Now, I'll tell you something. It's it's a blessing when you have a second person, when you have a third person, when you got a co-worker that knows Christ as Savior and you can share things with him and you can pray about things together. It's a blessing when you're in an environment and a place where you have other people that serve God, which, by the way, that's why church is so important and people should love it and being with God's people. It should be a refreshing time where God's believers are encouraged as they come and they get with believers so they're not alone all the time. But there are times where God may put you in places where you're alone and that's not an excuse to not live for God. You can make your life count when you're alone. You can make your life count when you have a bunch of people around you serving God as well because you can live for God at any time. Paul saw what was needed, and he decided that whether anyone followed him or not, he was going to do what needed to be done. He was alone, but he was willing to stand for God. In verse 17, we read these, or, or we have the words arguing or anywhere. Arguing or anywhere, and I might even give you another one, okay, in a few moments. But arguing or anywhere, it says, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Arguing or anywhere. All right, so what did Paul do? He disputed with people. First, he goes to the temple. First, well, not temple, the synagogue, okay? The temple was in Jerusalem. But the synagogue was a place where the Jews met to worship. They built synagogues and cities. And those synagogues were designed to give them an opportunity to worship the, the God of heaven, which, by the way, they weren't worshiping and they hadn't been worshiping for a long time. But that was the intent and that was the idea. And so Paul went like it was his practice in every city. He just went there first. His heart is stirred within him. He sees the city wholly given an idolatry, which, by the way, includes the Jews that were in the synagogue. Isn't that sad? Seriously. Hey, where are all the Christians? Well, they're worshiping idols like everyone else is. Hello, did you get that point? That was, that was the truth. He said the city was wholly given to idolatry. And so he goes to the synagogue and he starts preaching in the synagogue. This idol worship is wrong. There's only one true God. Shock to the Jews there. Isn't it sad how far churches have come today? Let, let, me, let me just say this. There are a lot, there are like probably 90% of the people you talk to in this area will tell you they're saved, they're on their way to heaven, they go to a good church, but most of them can't even tell you how they know they're saved. They can't. They cannot give a clear testimony. 
because I've talked to many of them, many of them, who can't even tell you how they know they're saved. Oh, yeah, we're saved. We're Christian. We know all the words and everything else. We pray all the time. Oh, we're spiritual people. Yeah, how do you know you're saved? Oh, well. And then you go through the gospel. Yeah, 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 I've accepted Jesus. Yeah, and I've been baptized. and I've done, Yeah, and I've been baptized and everything. Look, you're not saved by any of those things. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had to go to the, to the place where the religious Jews were and tell them, your faith is wrong. You need Jesus Christ. And so he gets in, he, he, you say, well, arguing, that wasn't a fair word either because he didn't argue, he discussed. Sometimes debated. He got into discussions with these people about, about the truth of God. And so, um, so he's in this discussion with them. To, the word dispute means better to discuss or say thoroughly, but I had to come up with something so arguing fit, all right? Uh, so this agitation of mind moves him to begin talking with people, and he starts with the synagogues, and then he goes out in the streets, and he starts in the streets to talk to people, anyone that will listen to him. Look, if you would, at this, this is an amazing thing. He says, and with the devout persons, middle verse 17, and in the market daily with them that met with him. So there are people who said, hey, we'll meet with you. Okay, then let's, let's, have, a, let's have a Bible study, people. And their Bible study was, I'm going to teach. It wasn't, let's all share what we've all learned from God's Word. Paul was, let me tell you what the Bible has to say. Jesus is the Christ. Now, you got questions about that? I'll answer them. But let me tell you something. This is not a let's all give our own opinion about what's right and let's have a nice Bible study where everyone shares their ideas and we all nod our head and say, that's a good thought. No, this was a Bible study. This was a time when Paul said, here's the truth of God's word. And if you'll meet with me, I'll teach you. If you're not going to come and, and, and listen, if you're going to just keep uh, going your own way, then, then hey, go your own way but I would be more than willing to spend time to help you. And he was a guy who was willing to go. And by the way, I love this because I gave the word anywhere because he went anywhere. Hey, if you'll meet with me, I'll do it. If you'll give me an opportunity, I'll talk. Just open the door and I'll come in. Uh, here was a guy that just said, anywhere I will be a witness for Jesus Christ. Um, by the way, I just want to be careful with this one. Paul didn't just invite them to church because there weren't one. L let me say this, and I want to say it carefully, I, I, because I believe it's a wonderful thing to invite people to church. I think you ought to do it. We encourage people to invite kids to vacation Bible time because getting them here allows the Word of God like a hammer to work in their heart and life and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. That's a good thing, and I never want to discourage someone from doing that. But let me tell you something, that just inviting them to church is not the end of witness. It's just a, a part of it. You may only have an opportunity to invite someone to Jesus Christ, but, but Paul was willing to go anywhere and everywhere to share with these people what they needed to know. And he didn't invite them to church. He said, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Number five, accusation. <laughs> Don't you love this? Lord, I'm doing what's right. Come on. And it says this in verse 18. Certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. Uh, what comes next in our text is interesting. 
because those who write commentaries great, great, take great pains to tell us what the Epicureans believed in the Stoics. Who cares? But they do. I mean, I, in fact, you, you get to um, uh, Barnes Notes, and you start reading in Barnes Notes, and he has like this long section about what the Epicureans believed and why, what they discussed with Paul. And I'm thinking, God didn't tell us that. And who really cares what the Epicureans believed? They were lost people who needed Jesus Christ. Stoics. What do the Stoics believe? Look, you may be interested in those things, and I, I, don't, I really don't have a problem, but we miss the point, don't we? It doesn't matter what those people believed. What does matter is the truth of the gospel. And Paul was one that was willing to confront these people and help them understand the truth. Now, what was going on in this passage and what was taking place? Well, don't miss the, miss the point. It was a good lesson. They were making fun of Paul. Is that profound? They were making fun of Paul. You say, no, they weren't. Yes, what will this babbler say? And others said this, right? He seemed to be a center forth of strange gods. These guys are bantering with one another, making fun of Paul. Do you see that? Look, who cares what they believe? They didn't like what Paul had to preach. And so they started to make fun of him. Is there not a lesson in, in, uh, for us in this? Look, there are going to be a lot of people who don't like the message of the gospel. Maybe even those who call themselves Christians who don't even understand the gospel. When you share Jesus Christ, it's not going to be popular. And, and people may be very well unhappy. You say, well, well, Pastor, what were they doing when they made fun of him? Well, they called him a babbler. And, and I, I had no idea what I said. He just babbles on and babbles on. He says, sounds like you, Pastor, this morning. All right, get done. All right, he's babbling on, babbling on. All right, that is not the idea of it. The word literally means seed picker. I had no idea of that, by the way. That was interesting to find out. See, seed picker. What do you mean by that? Well, the term was used of birds, ravens. That would, that would, if you would, um, mooch off of seeds or whatever would be left by people. Sometimes the term was used of people who were loafers, lazy, good for nothing, who soak off other people. Sometimes it was used as a term of disdain for someone who just kept running their mouth. I think it was probably meant in more in that way when they were talking about Paul. Well, here's the guy that keeps running his mouth, and he talks about this, and he talks about some resurrection stuff. What a crazy nut this guy is. That's probably how we would describe it today. Ah, this babbler, this, this seed picker. Yeah, he's, he's uh, soaking off other people, you know, and, and he's, he's, uh, he's not willing to work. He's just around, which is interesting because they took him to Mars Hill. And you know what they did on Mars Hill? They sat around and they listened to people, give them new ideas all day. They did nothing. But it was okay for those guys to do nothing. It wasn't okay for Paul to be out in the marketplace preaching the gospel rather than working a job. Which, by the way, he was working a job when he was out in the market sharing the gospel. But that's another message for another time. But here's a guy that was being made fun of. He was being laughed at. He was being accused of being lazy. He was being accused of being a guy that just runs his mouth all the time and doesn't have anything useful to say. He's being laughed at and mocked, and he doesn't stop. He just keeps taking opportunities as God opens the door. Does anyone else find that challenging? Um, 
Have you ever stopped sharing the gospel because the people you were trying to share it with didn't want it or didn't seem to want it? Have you ever not shared the gospel because you figured, well, they're not interested anyway? They already go to church. Oh, they got their own religion. Okay. Probably 75% of the world's religions, if not more, maybe more like 90% of the world's religion people have their own religion, but the religion is taking them to hell. And they need someone to love them enough that's willing to put up with some mocking and ridicule to challenge them about a Savior who died for their sins. And Paul was such a man. The next word is Areopagus. Areopagus. Well, that's because that's where they took him. Verses 19 to 21. They took him, brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. These are strange things that we hear. We want to know what these things mean. And, and as I said, the Athenians and strangers were there, and they spent their time in nothing else. They didn't do anything but listen to people tell something new. Got a new idea. Oh, go tell them the Athenians. They're on, the, they're on a big rock south of town. Isn't that great? Once you love a job like that, your job, and you sit on a rock and you listen to people come and tell you new ideas, and you say, oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a dumb one. Oh, there are no dumb ideas. Yes, there are dumb ideas. I'm sorry, there are. Just, just are. So that's their job. And, and so he's taking this place. By the way, uh, look at you what it says. And they took him. That word means they seized him. This this was not a, hey, hey, you know, come on, let, let's go and let's talk to these guys. on it. No, they took hold of Paul. After making fun of him, they took hold of Paul. They brought him to this place. So get this, Paul doesn't know what's going to happen to him. It wasn't as violent as some of these other places. So Paul was probably saying, hey, this is a piece of cake, you know. But the truth of the matter is he didn't know what's going to happen. He's taken to this place. He's supposed to defend himself. By the way, some writers say that this was the high court of the Athenians. Now, I don't know because the Bible doesn't describe it that way. But some who have studied it out said that all the, they, the, this was a court where they listened to people and they, in, in a sense, would pronounce judgment or they'd make decisions. Now, I don't know if that was exactly the case, but those who have studied it out tell us that's so. And if that is the case, then Paul might may be... I mean, his life may be on the line here. So what do you do? You just keep your mouth shut? You just say, well, people misunderstood me. Uh, do you just, uh, what, what do you do? Paul, uh, as he stands on Mars Hill, Areopagus, he begins to tell them the truth. And so, in number seven, he gives answer, verses 22 and 23. Called to give answer. By the way, he doesn't go to the Romans' road. He doesn't say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look, if anyone could have quoted the Romans road, it had to be Paul. He wrote it. Well, not yet, but, you know, probably had to be in his mind. 
So you're, you're making fun of someone. No, I, I'm not making fun of someone who memorizes the Romans road because, because the more scripture you memorize, the better you can share the gospel with people, the more effective you'll be. But I will say this, you don't ever find anyone use the Romans road to share the gospel with someone in the Bible, ever, anywhere. And it's not because those verses aren't effective or powerful because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. The reason they didn't is because every person needs something different. This message he preached is one of the most unique messages in all of the Bible in sharing the gospel to this point. No one's preached anything like this, at least in, in biblical record. Maybe some others had. This message came from the standpoint and started with Genesis 1.1. There is a God. And that God made heavens and earth. He made you. And you're answerable to, answerable to him. And you need him. The reason Paul did that was because that's where those people were and that's what they needed. The reason why Jesus could talk about people needing to repent and he didn't have to emphasize a lot of times all the other things that were, were, were needed in the gospel is because the Jews knew those things. Witnessing is not having five verses memorized and being able to take someone through it. Witnessing is in the power of God's Spirit, with God's Spirit giving understanding and wisdom, God giving you the discernment to share with someone in, a, in the way they need it, the truth of God's Word. That's why, by the way, you need the Spirit of God that was promised when he would come upon you and he'd give you power to be a witness because you need his help to guide you in witness because not everyone needs Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, 5, Romans 6.23, and Romans 10.9-13. So what did he do? Well, the, he gave answer in verses 22 and 23. He presents Jesus as the way, yes, the same message. The gospel didn't change. The gospel was presented in a way that those people needed to hear. Number eight, almighty. Verses 24 to 29, he gives a beautiful picture of God. God is the creator. Look at verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein. And then, notice this, he is the ruler of heaven and earth. I love it, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. He dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Look, there is no idol that can be made. So I reference the unknown God because that got your attention. But let me tell you something. He is not an idol. He's not a piece of stone. He's not a piece of wood. He's not a, a, some gold thing that you designed of your own thinking. You can't do that. You can't put him in temple and worship him because he's the God of heaven and earth. He exists in all the earth. He is the great God of all, and you need him. What a powerful message. What a wonderful message about the almighty God. Then notice, if you would, he said this in verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. It's not black lives matter. Ooh, you didn't expect to hear that on Sunday morning, did you? Because that is a racist statement designed to separate people. It's all lives matter. Because God made all people. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. They're all loved by God. 
He wants them all to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Red and yellow, black and white, as the song says. And if you're mixed up with this stuff, let me be very clear. And it's not because I'm white. Black Lives Matter, Matter is an evil movement, not of God. And it's not right, and it shouldn't be supported by a Christian. All lives matter to God. And God made all races. And all should be treated with dignity and respect and love. And all need to hear the wonderful message of the gospel. And whether people are rich or poor or black or white, they all need to hear of Christ. And that's what Paul preached. He didn't preach black lives matter. He preached all lives matter because God made all races. And they all alike need a wonderful Savior. And today, we need to hear that message. People need to hear that message. And he preached, he preached an almighty God. And he said he's the only way. And then he makes an appeal. What was the appeal? Well, at the times of this ignorance, verse 30, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, have a change of mind about yourself, about him, and come to the realization he is the one and only God and trust him. So let me give you the last one. You didn't get 10 A's. Talk to me later. Actions. Actions. Because in verse 32, 33, and 34, we find three different responses to the gospel, actions of the people that heard the gospel message. All right, first, verse 32, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, next two words, they had mockers. Let me tell you something. You share the gospel, and you're going to have some people make fun of you. Say you're crazy. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to mock your message. That's why some Christians don't witness It's truth. Well, it doesn't do any good. No, it does, actually. It separates men. It lets them know, first of all, what the Bible says, and then it allows them to make a decision. What side am I going to be on, God's side or my own? And when they mock, they've made the choice to be on their own side. But maybe God will use the hammer of his word to work in their heart and bring them to himself later on. You never know. They were mockers. Then we find this at the end of verse 32. And others said, we will hear thee again in this matter. I got some questions. I need some answers. We'll hear you again. Come back sometime. Share with me again. I'll tell you what, those are encouraging ones as a witness when someone's at least willing to talk with you, willing to hear. I, I don't, I'm not ready to believe that. But, and then what's encouraging is the last verse of this chapter. Am, am I right? These are what, this is what we always want when we share the gospel, but it just doesn't always happen. In fact, the majority are the first two, probably. But what does the Bible tell you? Isn't it great? Some people got saved. But they only got saved because a guy who was sent away, away from the place he wanted to be, he planned to be, and everything else, saw people and was willing to do something. Acts 17, challenging message.
me and maybe to you. If you know him, what have you been doing? Wherever God sends you, whatever God puts into your life, what have you been doing to see people and tell? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.